daylight savings time. This is the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blame the thin crowd not on the, the topic or the subject or the quality of teaching, I'm gonna blame it on uh, daylight savings time. Does that work for everybody? Good, thanks for being here. Glad, uh, glad that you are. Uh, today is, uh, is landing day, um, the week that we've all been looking forward to for the past nine. Um, but we're, we'll be wrapping up our spiritual gift study today. And I've asked Barry if he would uh, open us in prayer. Let's pray. Amen. Okay, well, a uh, quick review of last week. So last week we, uh, uh, we rolled out the aggregate numbers in terms of the frequency distribution of the spiritual gifts as they, of our spiritual gifts as a church and as a body. And uh, we, we saw kind of, we kind of ranked them in terms of the, um, how frequently they showed up. And it looked like uh, there were about six gifts that represented um, about two-thirds of all the responses, and then we had a whole bunch at the bottom uh, about uh, that were, yeah, that were um, much lower frequency. I mean, I'm thinking about music and mercy and evangelism and you fill in the blanks. And I think that one of the places that I wanted to, to just check back in on that is um, just a reminder that 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 sheet, that scoring, that ranking is not a judgment on any level. That's, that, we should not be interpreting that as, oh, we are weak. We, we really need to work on that. Well, there might be areas that we need to work on, but this has nothing to do with the judgment on who we are as a church. It is simply a snapshot of the possible potential gifts that God may have given us and arranged, arranged in us for his purpose. There isn't a church on earth that doesn't have some kind of frequent dis, uh, curve like that in terms of a frequency distribution. There's no church that has exactly an equal number of all the gifts equally distributed across the body. And I think that's part of what we have to recognize is that God has built us exactly the way he has built us. And we don't have to apologize for that. We don't have to bemoan that. We don't have to feel badly about that. We should be excited about that. I mean, I will tell you where my heart went. And by the way, I'm preaching from my heart right now. Because when I look at this, like, oh my gosh, look at all those areas that we're not very strong in. Oh, that explains a lot. Wait a second. Look at all the gifts that we're strong in. Look at all the gifts that God has blessed us with. How about let's flip it? How about let's look at how God has built us fearfully and wonderfully. I can look at myself and I can look at all those areas that I wish I was stronger in. Oh my gosh, I wish I was better at that. But God has blessed me with strengths and gifts in areas and, and not so much weaknesses, but maybe not, call them lesser strengths, I don't know, right? 
So I think that it's just important for us to have a right perspective about that aggregate, those aggregate numbers, okay? Now, as I said, just a reminder, it doesn't get us off the hook. Just because we don't have the spiritual gift, we, may, we only have one person who, um, ha, who's highlighted, who highlighted a spiritual gift of evangelism, which, by the way, might not mean that he's, he or she's got the gift of evangelism. It just means that they, it was highlighted on their score sheet, right? But that doesn't mean that we don't have to dig into and press into evangelism or mercy or music. If you, maybe you don't have the spiritual gift of music, but do you have, the ta- have a talent or a skill in music? And so I think that that's the place that we need to continue to explore and what we need to do with, with that sheet, with that, um, with that uh, chart that we, that we looked at last week. Does that make sense? I see a lot of heads nodding, so I'm going to assume that it does. The second thing that I wanted to point out was the, uh, the sheet that I gave you to take home with you, and that was the, uh, the, the sheet about the, the list of ministries in a typical uh, evangelical church in America or something like that. And it was four pages of all these jobs, and then, a, then off to the side it had all the gifts that would correspond with those jobs. I think the thing that I want to point out about that, remind you again about, was that is not, was not a list of all the jobs that we should have in this church. It's not um, it, because, we, they're all, because we don't have all those jobs, that doesn't mean that we're a weak church. I guess I would, the purpose of, of passing that out and asking you to look at that was more about stirring your thoughts and stirring your hearts about the kinds of places that you might be able to minister that we need to minister as a church. We'll be getting to that a little bit more detail a little bit later. I think there are a couple things that I want to point out about that too, and that is recognizing that there are things that are listed as gifts. There are jobs that that have corresponding gifts listed. For example, parking attendant. I think the, the gifts that are listed are service, helps, and hospitality. Now, I'm not going to argue that someone with service gifts of service uh, helps or evangelism or I'm sorry hospitality could not be helpful as a parking lot attendant but here's a secret it doesn't take spiritual gifts to be a parking lot attendant it takes ability it takes capability there are people in this room who if we had a parking lot of ministry who frankly should not be out parking cars for a variety of reasons. And then there are people who maybe you should, and you don't have the gift of service and helps. And so I guess that's, that was just kind of an example that I want to point out is that is part of what we have to pay attention to as a body, is that we can use the fact that, oh, I don't have that spiritual gift, therefore I can't be a parking lot attendant, or I can't stack chairs, or I can't help at the hospitality table, or I can't help in the nursery or fill in the blank. That's not true. And I hope if you walk away from these 10 weeks with nothing more than that, this will have been a successful class. We need to exercise our spiritual gifts, but because we don't have, the, don't have a specific gift does not mean that we, we are not called or may not be called to be a part of that ministry. So that's just kind of my quick review from last week. And uh, I'd love to open it up for conversation, but we frankly don't have time because we've got... Um, a lot of lumber to chop, as we've talked about in the past. So here we are. We're moving to vision and mission statements. 
Um, normally, when I walk into a business or a company and I say, you know, what you really need is a mission statement, I watch the whole, anybody in the room just kind of, they will. They're like, oh my gosh, really? A mission statement? Another one? <clears throat> and I'm not going to tell you that, that, that the experience that I had when we were talking as a session wasn't quite similar, frankly, um, to begin with to begin with. But I think that the part of the reason that that's the case is that often vision and mission statements are either misused or not really used, or they're poorly written and they're not usable. And so we have spent a lot of time as a session crafting and thinking through the language and the principles that you see in the mission statement of, uh, of Ascension Presbyterian Church. Um, usually mission statements are pretty pieces of paper that are nailed to a wall somewhere that, like your dentist's office or your doctor's office. There's a mission statement there somewhere. It's usually on a wall that, you know, usually in a prominent place that, so everybody can walk by and look and go, oh, well, they, they, they must be on their game because they've got a mission statement. But I'll guarantee 99.9% .9 of the time, no one in the office can tell you what the mission statement is. They couldn't name three principles on it. And that just tells me either that it's a poorly written mission statement or that that, has not, that mission statement has not been brought into the DNA of the organization. It is not really a guiding tool for the organization. And frankly, I hope you recognize that that is a thing that we're going to be parsing into as a church. We want to orient how we operate, how we think, how we move forward as a church around the principles, and you will see that more and more, the principles of the mission statement and the vision statement, and you will see that um, brought out today. These are important statements on who we are, what we do, and why. And I think it's important to recognize that that's not just a thing that your leaders are paying attention to, it's a thing that all of us need to be paying attention to. Our goal is that it become, that our mission and vision statements and the principles embedded in it become the part of the fabric of who we are as a church, become actually part of our DNA. My hope is that in our conversation today that we'll be able to take the 2D piece, piece of paper that you have in front of you of the mission statement, which I gave you last week and you in another form have in your packet today. But my hope is that it, we'll be able to make it three-dimensional, that you'll be able to see how you participate, how we all participate, and that in the power of the Holy Spirit, it'll actually become 4D. So there are a couple things that I want you to pay attention to. So if you, if you get out your mission statement from last week, I guess the thing that I want you to notice, first of all, is that there are a lot of verbs. You guys probably noticed that. Um, faithfully, go, fulfill, make, worshiping, maturing, multiplying, All the way through our vision statement and mission statement, we're, we have carefully chosen and placed verbs. And I, th I want you to pay attention to that as we continue through the, our discussion today. And second of all, I want you to also recognize that there is a tremendous amount of intentionality. And we're not going to be able to get to all the detail of the intentionality today. But I hope you, that you will see the intentionality with which this, these statements were built. Um, 
If there's a word here, there's a reason. If there's a phrase, there's a reason. If there's a principle, there's a reason. And some of them are going to be really obvious, and I'll guarantee some of them we just skate right by. And I think that's the kind of thing that I want us to highlight today. So, would somebody read um, our vision statement for us? Out loud. Please. So one of the places that I want to start is faithfully persevere in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting phrase. What's that about? Well, let's remember and recognize where we are culturally. We have a culture that is not really happy with Christianity. It's not very affectionate towards the church. And we can certainly see that we are at, at the very least in a headwind. But at, at its worst... We are headed toward persecution. We don't know what that looks like. The church has always experienced resistance in the world, right? But we are called to persevere, regardless of the circumstances. And so this phrase, this statement, um, that we are going to faithfully persevere in the power and leading of the Holy Spirit is recognizing that this is not just a work that we're going to generate on our own, but this is are recognizing where that power and that strength comes from to continue to exercise our ministry, to um, press forward with the vision that God has given us in the ministry of APC. So that's, that's a place that I just don't want you to pass over and say, well, that means something important, I can tell, but not think about it. I want us to think about it. As your, your leaders, we want all of us to be thinking about that. Second of all, I guess I want to point out also the key word, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go. That means get up. That means walk. That means be intentional. That means recognize that in our going, it's inconvenient. It's not, you're not going to be comfortable. We started this class at the very beginning talking about we are not called to a comfortable religion, a comfortable faith. We are called to a radical faith. We are called to exercise and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in engaging His ministry in this church, into the community, into the world. And so that requires going. If you're going to deliver a meal to somebody who has just come out of the hospital. That requires going. If you're going to go to Cuba on a missionary trip, that requires going. If your child is, is hurting emotionally, that may require you going. Getting off your bottom on your comfortable couch and going when you're tired and uncomfortable. Going takes a lot of forms. Don't just skip over that. Recognize that that is part of the vision that God is calling us to. Now, we could go through every word in the vision statement and, and uh, 
you know, parse it, and frankly, we'll do that over time. But I really want to encourage you to recognize that the core here of our vision statement is making disciples. We are about engaging the mission or the vision of Jesus that he gave to his disciples at the end of Matthew. Go, therefore, into all the nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And we have put in our vision statement that we want to do that in our families, that we want to do that in our church, we want to do that with our neighbors, and we want to do that with our nations. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, go and do evangelism. Go, therefore, and do evangelism. That's part of discipleship. It's embedded there. So as we continue to engage our vision, let's make sure that we're recognizing what Jesus is calling us to here. Now let's jump to our mission. The way I think about the difference between vision and mission is vision is where you want to go. In an organization, it tends to be aspirational. Sometimes it can be a thing that you can actually measure when you've arrived. For example, I want to go to Boston. My vision is I'm going to drive to, Mo- to Boston. It's going to take me about a week. I have a vision. I can know when I have crossed into the city boundaries of Boston. But a vision like this is not something that I can just say, ah, oh, we've arrived. We've, we're done making disciples. That is not what Jesus has called us to. It will be done. We will be done as a church. When? When he comes back on his glorious, at his glorious return, right? But if vision is sort of the destination, the aspirational, the, the place that we want to continue to remind ourselves that we are aspiring to as an organization, then mission is really becomes the vehicle. That's how we're going to get there. These are the things that we will do. And the way I talk about this is that the mission, the, the mission is what you do, that when you have done it consistently enough for long enough, you will begin to make progress toward realizing that vision. The mission is what you do. Vision is where you're going. And so I think that the, the way to think about this is we aspire, we pursue, we are going to pour, we are pouring ourselves into the vision of going and making disciples. And that's awesome. But how do you do that? What does that look like? And that's what the mission statement is about. Would somebody read the mission statement for me? Amen. We're a community. And that's a word that I want us to camp on here for a minute. What's it mean to be a community? Got 20. Yeah, let's, but I want, I want to talk, I want to hear a couple of answers. I'd love to hear some thoughts. What does it mean to be a community? I think we all know it, but can we articulate it? Extended family. Connections and caring. Voluntary. Voluntary. 
Food is usually involved. I love that. Yep. <clears throat> a healthy community always has food involved. That's right. Well, and we, we see that as at the Lord's table each week, right? You know, the community coming together around food. You're right. It's a great picture. One of the things that I talk about in my, my seminars um, with, with organizations is the, a concept called team. Everybody knows what that is. And it's often important in, in uh, business organizations to remind uh, people of uh, key principles, a you know, handful of key principles, that things that we can do, things that we should do in order to accomplish a thing or to define a thing. And I, I, I teach you know, five principles of what it takes to be an effective team. Now, there are more principles than that, but I like to boil it down to a handful, one hand. And what I'm going to share with you in brief is my five principles for what it takes to be an effective team. And you could argue, oh, Bob, really? You're bringing business stuff into church? And I'm going to argue, nope, I'm bringing church stuff into business. And you get to hear, uh, hear that, that perspective. I think number one thing that I want to point out or the number one uh, point here on this is uh, communication. And I want to encourage you to write these down. This is a seminar in itself. We're not doing a communication seminar. But in announcements a few weeks ago, I pointed out that communication is both expressive and receptive. We tend to think about communication as expressive. And most of us are very good expressive communicators. But somebody needs to be listening if good communication is going to take place. And so we also have to recognize that communication is both communication and, or, sorry, expressive and receptive. If we're going to be an effective community, the community that we're talking about here in the mission statement, we have to recognize that we have to become continuously, we will never arrive, better communicators. We need to grow in our communication, both expressively, can I say what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I'm believing, what I want, what I don't want, and can I listen to somebody else as they express those things too? Communication is a two-way street. I told them. I, I, I told them what I thought. Well, maybe you communicated. Maybe you didn't. Again, this could be an entire, entire seminar, but it's an essential part of community. The next one is cooperation. And the way that I think about this is um, a sandbox analogy. Um, when children play in, san in sandboxes when they're really little, they do this thing called parallel play. And sometimes they don't do it very well. They fight over their toys. But it is always a monumental milestone when Teddy is able to play in the sandbox with Sally and not have a fight over the buckets or the shovels that they can work on their side of the sandbox and maybe even share buckets and 
sifts and all that and shovels without having a fight. Help each other out. That's cooperation. That's silly, I know, but that's the way that I think about it. But let's, let's, let's bring it uh, to, to here. Um, I guess there are a couple behemoth men in here that can pick up these, uh, uh, not podium, but the, uh, the elevated, the riser and throw it up on the stage. But usually it requires two people cooperating to be able to get it up on the stage. Um, helping Kathy out with, um, with uh, treats and snacks um, on Sunday is cooperation. And I'm, make, I'm making this point intentionally, but that's an important piece of what it takes to be a community. The third piece is accountability. And I'm going to say mutual accountability. Am I accountable to do the things that I said that I would do? to do my part, to do what God has called me to do. Now, this is a very responsible church. If you say that you're going to be there at 8.30, you're going to be there at 8.30. But that's an important part of who we are as a community. It's not just showing up on time. It's recognizing that I have the ability to be able to help, to be able to serve. Maybe, with, maybe I have capacity, maybe I don't, but I certainly have the ability. Am I willing to be a part, and can I count on others? Do I count on others to do their part? Can I trust somebody else to do their part? Huge. Plenty to explore here, but that's the third point. The first, fourth point is collaboration. And I would argue that there's a huge difference between cooperation and collaboration. Cooperation says, I'm going to play on my side of this sandbox, you're going to play on yours, and we're going to share tools, we're going to share our toys. Collaboration says, here, you can't do that by yourself. You hold this up, I'll, help, I'll come up underneath, and we'll work together to be able to do something together that we could not possibly have done by ourselves. That make sense? So I've heard a beautiful example of this recently um, where Cindy and Joyce got together, both of them with gift of hospitality, both of them with roles and responsibilities on hospitality in the church, and they got together. I'm sorry, Kathy. Kathy and Joyce. And they got together, and they did some problem solving, and they looked at, well, how could we do this better? What are ways that we can improve this? Let's use your gifts, and we use mine, and we can... That's collaboration. And that's the kind of thing that we need to be paying attention to if we're going to be a healthy community. And then finally is appreciation. I don't have the gift of spelling on the whiteboard. Appreciation is central. And frankly, I think it's an area that we can grow in, especially as a church. Do you appreciate the other people as they exercise their gifts. Sure. Sure I do. I really appreciate it when somebody helps to stack chairs or somebody sweeps the floor or somebody makes sure the bulletin gets done. But do I ever talk to them about it? Do I ever express it? And I think that's central. I think that's really important. Are we willing to communicate our appreciation? Now, I've taken far too much time on this. I thought this was going to take three minutes, and it's taken almost eight. So you got my points, right? Community. 
we also have to recognize that we are about a, a community of making disciples. What's a disciple? A follower of Jesus. We are in the work of making disciples in the hope of his kingdom, building for his kingdom. We talked about that a few weeks ago, the new heavens and the new earth. So at the bottom on your first page, you have, so we've, we've just went through the, the, your first page, which was the vision. And then the second page we went to is your mission, which we just talked about, which is in the upper left-hand corner. And then I built this diagram to kind of diagram these core principles or these core values of who we are as a church and what our, and what our mission is. And number one is worshiping Jesus. And fundamentally, that's about corporate worship. Joy, reverence, awe, heritage, recognizing our, our pre, um, present context. We want to be awesome worshipers of Jesus. Do we have room to grow? Yep. Will we always? Yep. But notice that this is on the foundation. This is at the foundation of this triangle. It is the most important thing. It is central. On this, everything else gets built, right? I want to point out that there's a danger, though, and that is to think that worship only happens when we come into this room. And we don't have time to unpack it, but you have an article in your, in your packet today um, by... Uh, John Piper, about all of life being worship. It is easy for us to think about wor our worship being somewhat insular. It's the thing that we do when we come together. And yes, it absolutely is. But out of that should flow our worship as we go to the grocery store or as we return home to our families or as we're at work or you fill in the blanks. But all of life is worship. And I wish we had time to, to unpack that more. But it is certainly in our work. It is certainly in our home. It is certainly in our neighborhood. Let's go to number, the next one. Loving the body. Notice that there's a verb here. Loving. It's a verb. Not just a feeling. It's a verb. We have to do something. We have to go something in order to be able to love the body. Notice also in the statement that, um, that the, the principle also requires us to be both ministers and objects of ministry. There are, there are folks in our, in our body who are awesome ministers, but are reluctant to allow others to minister to them. And there are those who are very, well, very willing to be ministered to, but are not stepping forward and stepping out to minister. And a healthy, loving body, in a healthy, loving body, all of us will be engaged in both, willing to receive ministry and willing to exercise ministry. It's mercy, care, reaching out to the wounded, encouraging, discipleship. There's a lot here in how we love the body. Loving our neighbors. Again, verb, love, go, action, do. 
It's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. There are a lot of ways that, we're, that we love our neighbors. And there are a lot of ways that Jesus is calling us to love our neighbors better and more. We're engaged with Everett Gospel Mission. We're engaged with PRC. Our community groups over the years have spent time engaging in, in families and, and loving people in Jesus' name, repairing decks and um, helping uh, people move and fill in the blanks. That's a place that we need to continue to go and grow. That is part of our discipleship. Equipping for discipleship. This one's huge. What happens in discipleship hour? Discipleship. We've just been through spiritual disciplines and spiritual gifts, and now we're headed to spiritual warfare. All critical tools and principles that are about equipping us as the body of Christ for discipleship. Discipleship within the body and discipleship going outside the body. The preach word. One-to-one mentorship. Being a mentor and a mentee. I think that's the word. Seminars. Praise God for Crossway Church. Parenting seminar. Marriage seminar in a couple weeks. Um, Jeff Capshaw last year did engaging the did a whole series on engaging the culture. I mean, there is some great. We have been had some great training in equipping for discipleship. That doesn't mean that there's not more to do. There's plenty more to do. I promise you the list of things that we could do are, is much longer than the things that we've done. But recognizing that in order, to, in order to be successful in equipping for discipleship, we're right back to it, it takes a two-way, two-way experience. It's not just that the class is offered, it's not just that the opportunity for equipping is presented, but are we showing up? Are we participating? Am I engaging it? Am I recognizing that this is an opportunity for me to hone skills and knowledge and information, not just to stack away in my mental filing cabinet, but to step out and to go and to do, to love the body, to love my neighbors. The equipping for discipleship is not just a mental exercise. It is, it is preparation. It is training for loving the body and loving our neighbor. All of us need to be equipped more. All of us need to implement the equipping that we've been given already and will get in the future. But we have to recognize, too, that we don't know what we don't know. And I think that that's part of what equipping will do for us. And then organizing for ministry. Building the structure on which all of ministry attaches. That's that top tri triangle. It's not on the top because it's the most important. We're starting at the bottom and working to the top. I'm not saying it's not important, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, that the number one principle that we need to be paying attention to is, is for a church is organizing for ministry. In fact, exactly the opposite. I'm just arguing and have argued that Organizing for ministry, putting structure in place that allows us to be able to have, have rails to, ro um, to, uh, to run on. Consistency is essential for us to be able to do all these other things. Gives us a form and a framework that allows us to be more effective in living out our mission and our vision. As administrator, one of my jobs is, it will be, to help to create structures so that there is a place that as people come into the church, there's a path, 
there's, there's a road for people to come in and engage ministry, but that there are branches in, order, in place for them to be able to engraft, and there's intentionality to help them to be able to engraft. We don't really have that at this point. Our goal is to have that. That requires organizing for ministry. So let's talk about our spiritual gifts. Vision and mission, envision and mission. And that's the last page of your handout. I took all the spiritual gifts that we went through, ranked them exactly as they were in your sheet last week. And I just want to point out that the connection between our spiritual gifts and our mission and vision is the go. Are we going? Are we exercising our spiritual gifts? In worship. Do you, I, I was amazed when I was in the process of doing the, uh, doing the organizational assessment. I, I, I don't remember the number. I should know it. There are so many things that happen that to make, in a week, to make this two and a half hours that we're together come together. It is amazing the amount of work that happens behind the scenes where people are exercising their gifts in order to allow this time together, this corporate, central corporate time as a body to come together. I've mentioned that before, but it's huge. Exercising our gifts for loving the body. That's going. And the body is our children. The body is our teenagers. The body is um, our... Uh, our, our, our sister Gwen, the, I mean, we can be exercising and need to be exercising our gifts. You need to be exercising your gifts in the going and fulfilling of our mission and our vision. And also in the maturing of disciples. And that requires being in each other's lives. Nate challenged us on December 31st, 2017. Who is somebody that you can be pressing into? Who is somebody, whether you have the gift or you don't have the gift, who is somebody that you can press into and begin to build a discipling relationship with? He didn't use that word. I'm using that word. Iron sharpens iron. We can be and should be discipling one another. This isn't optional. Our ministry, our vision is not optional. Jesus doesn't say, hey, listen, guys, if it feels comfortable, when you get around to it, would you go and make some disciples? That is not the posture that Jesus takes. It is go and make. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. Through his Holy Spirit. It's not optional. You're not going to do it perfectly. We're not going to do it perfectly nor are we going to do it in our own strength, in our own power. Zechariah 4, 6. Anna, Anna prayed this for me this year in preparation for this class. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We will not realize this vision, even an inkling of it, without the Holy Spirit. We will not be able to walk and move this vehicle. We, so think about the analogy. I want to go to Boston. I've got a car. 
But what's it take to get there? The engine's got to be running, and the transmission's got to be engaged, and we've got to be going, not dreaming, not wishing, not wanting, going. And our Holy Spirit is the one who moves mission in the direction of discipleship. Go. I love the story. I just reread it a couple weeks ago. Judges 6, Gideon. I'll give you the paraphrase. Go and fight the Midianites. You can do it. I'll be with you. But Lord, we're, we're just a little tribe. We're the smallest tribe. We can't do this. We, we don't have the gift of evangelism. We're not very good with music. We, and, and mercy, I mean, did you see our scores? We can't do this. God says to Gideon, go in the might that you have. Go without what I've already given you in terms of how I've equipped you and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage us to exercise our gifts. That's the whole point of these last 10 weeks. We need to exercise our gifts. Don't be afraid of making a mess. It's okay. We got mops. We got buckets. We got towels. We'll clean it up. I would much rather, your leaders would much rather have us make a mess and spend time cleaning up than trying to get us to move and go. It's okay that we can make a mess if we make a mess. It's also okay for us to be intentional. You're going to have to decide. We're going to have to decide. Spiritual gifts are spiritual. That's not New Age spiritual. That's Holy Spirit spiritual. That's not feel-good spiritual. That's Holy Spirit spiritual. Let's not confuse the language of our culture around spiritual with the truth of the gospel of what spiritual is and what spiritual gifts are and what they're meant to do and how we are called to exercise them. I want to thank you guys for your faithful, regular attendance uh, for this class over the last 10 weeks. Um, it has been um, my privilege to prepare and to think through. Um, I want to thank those of you who prayed for me. Um, Joyce Hawkinson prayed regularly uh, for me. Um, Ann and Dave Ball, I know, prayed regularly for me. Jeff Capshaw prayed. I, there are a number of people who just pray, prayed regularly. There have been so many folks who have been so encouraging, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, but I, I guess I would be um, really remiss if I didn't recognize my lovely assistant, who um, has been more supportive and more helpful in what you have heard each week 
than you could even imagine. The questions that she's asked, well, why would you do it that way? What, what, what about this? Have you thought about, it's just been, you have seen her fingerprints, you have heard her fingerprints in what you have seen um, each week, and I can't even begin to tell you how grateful I am. Jeff. Okay, but you got three minutes, so. <laughs> so, uh, I didn't listen to the Spirit. I want to be involved with the gift. And it's all spread our appreciation because I've lost this class three times. In three years I've been here, I can tell you unequivocally, no offense to any other teacher. Nobody else has put the effort, the time, the preparation, and the teaching this course is not willing. And I think what we all Thank you, brother. That was very kind. Nate, would you close us in prayer?